everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Maddie Miller show. We are back with another episode and I'm so excited to introduce to you guys, Kimberly Feeney, who has such an incredible story to be sharing with us today. Kimberly, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I I love that we were able to connect and I love what you're doing. It's so great. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I always do really like to say like kind of how we found each other. So um, Kimberly and I found each other on LinkedIn, actually, um, after having some of what of a mutual connection through Connor Sweetman. So yeah. those of you, of you listening, I've had Connor Sweetman on the podcast before and, he, and Kimberly has written for his magazine, um, Ecstasis. And I actually, I was like, I'm bringing this. I actually have the copy of Ecstasis right here. Aww. And I was like, thought it was so cool to flip through here and actually see um, your beautiful poem titled Afterlight in there. Um, so that was a really cool connection. And so I'm excited to have you on my show today. Thank you. It touches my heart to be able to see that. And it's just been an unbelievable journey. It's been a God journey. And some of the things that have just kind of been popping up, I just, it, it surprises me so much. So yeah, I well, love that we made this connection and Ecstasis and Connor, they have been so gracious. Yes. And they're so awesome. I mean, this is just like a beauty in and of itself. It's and I unbelievable. love being able to flip through it and see so much, yeah, beauty in the writing and the photography and whatnot. So that's so cool that you played a little part in that. Yes, I'm I'm honored to yeah. be a little slice of it. <laughs> good, good. Well, as I always have all of my guests do, I always have them share a fun fact. So Kimberly, I'm excited to hear your fun fact. Okay, so I have a couple of oddities that normally when I Love tell it. people these, they're they're more odd than fun. And then I'll I'll hit you with the fun one because it's better to talk about. But okay. I've gone like a full year without watching any television at all. Yeah. That? And people wow. get jaw dropped. They're like, wait, what? Like, are you yeah. human? <laughs> when and was so, that? And, I'm curious. Um, Like in my 20s. And then I've done it since in my 30s as well. Okay. And so I've done it on and off. But that's one thing that always makes people go like, say what? That's that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't. I could never. I don't yeah. even think and how it I happened tried. is we moved into our new place, my husband and I, and this was like mm-hmm. late 20s. And like we didn't have the cable hooked up or something like yeah. that. And then it was just, well, let's just put it off. And then we just said, let's just keep seeing how long we can go. Yeah. And it went, I think it went almost a year. And then he finally broke down because I think it was like football season or basketball season. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, well, I know you're tapping out, but I'll go and I'm going to keep going. So, and that, and that leads to to the fact that I try to read like 30 to 40 books a year. So those are some like random facts. That's that's a lot of books. I mean, if you think about how many weeks are in a year, 52, mm-hmm. like that's like a book, a new book every two weeks, maybe. And I'm like, yeah. couldn't be me. It takes me like three months to read one book. So <laughs> I know. And and I've had those seasons as well, but I try to read as much as I can. So here's the fun fact or the one that's probably more interesting to our listeners is that my husband and I, and then I've done it with a couple of my girlfriends as well. In North Carolina, there's a really big waterfall called White Waterfalls. And they have a sign that says like 20 something people have died here, you know, watch out. And when my husband and I were like 18 and 20, we were dating at the time. We we were a little unlawful and we waited for no one to look. And we jumped the fence and we figured out how to hike to the top of this waterfall. Oh my God. And of course at 18 and 20, we figured it out. We're like, Oh, look at us. So we, what we literally stood on the edge where all these people had died and it was really breathtaking and insane. And then we went back and back and back. So it was like one of our little voyages when we would go up and visit my parents who lived in that area and literally stand on the edge and take a picture. And I know it sounds stupid, but I haven't done it since I had my daughter. When you become yes. a parent, you get a little more risk. <laughs> it's adverse, a little more so. real, but that's yeah. so cool. I mean, I love yeah. that. I love that like daredevil. I don't, I, I feel I'm like not I like that nervous. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Well, now I'd be fun. like children, children, stop. What are Everyone, you doing? Come, come back. back. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's so fun. Um, Love to hear it. Those were some great oddities and fun fact. 
Um, so let's just get right into it. I'm excited to hear more of your story and especially later on to hear um, more about The Way Back to Ourselves, which is your small business. Um, but first, I would just like to talk a little bit about you and just kind of hear your story. So to start off, I'd just love to hear more a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, what you were interested in, what you did for fun and whatnot. Okay, so... I was born in Natick, Massachusetts, right right outside of Boston. My family's like from the Cambridge area, you know, outside of Harvard and whatnot, and then New England. And But we moved to Florida when I was about five. And so every now and again, you can hear a little strangeness in my accent, and that's because there's still that hutch of that Bostonian accent. My mom tried to get rid of it. Mostly she did, but it's there. Um, but then I've been a Florida girl since I was five. We lived, you know in the kind of country area. I grew up on like five, six acres, a wooded lot. It was really beautiful. My sister and I spent a ridiculous amount of time outside. And my mom is actually really like a hippie earthy type. And I think that's kind of where like the whole no television watching and getting outside, she did not get us any of those things. So like we didn't have movies and I know that sounds terrible. (laughs) Like, you know, we talk about that today. I am a little older than probably some of the young folks listening. Um, I just turned 40, but she would be like, get outside, go play. Don't come home until the sun sets, you know? And so my sister and I just would, you know, go in the woods and get lost and get chased by a wild boar. And I always joke, I'm like, how I survived my childhood falling out of trees and, and dropping cinder blocks on snakes. I just, it's, it's an act of God, but in that time, um, just running around in, and uh, enjoying nature, we actually have these beautiful uh, tangerine trees in the backside of our property. And I don't know what it was about them. And I think this kind of speaks to the artist, you know, and the writer in me, that I have the earliest memories of going out there and sitting under those trees and catching shade under those trees and then eating so many tangerines that my mom would be like, stop. Yeah, you know I mean? that's I was incredible. Getting- yeah, I was getting um what do you get like little ulcers when you have too much oh uh, yeah, yeah like cold sores or like yeah, uh-huh. I was just I was eating them like crazy and but I love that that's become a symbol to me because I was writing under that as early as I can remember. I, I think I wrote my first little book. It was called The Cheetah. And it was about a girl who found a wild cheetah in her backyard. And we have the woods. So in my mind, like there was a cheetah living in our woods. And I had these this imagination that I was going to find it and I was going to tame it. And it was going to be my best friend. And life would be beautiful. So, you know, that was kind of, uh, you know, my beginnings. And I can see now. I mean, I always was begging to go to the library. My mom's a teacher. So she would do like homeschool with us, you know, over the summer. Yeah. And I would read voraciously. I would drive my teachers nuts because I would, I was a kid who was like overly helpful. I got all my work done early and I'm going around and I'm bothering and helping all the other kids. And my teachers were like, she's great. She does everything we ask, but she needs to be quiet and she needs to let other kids do their own work. We don't need to know what Kimberly knows how to do. We need to let so-and-so which, you know, I ended up becoming a teacher. So yeah, so it all worked out. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. And then and then coming up as a teenager, I was actually running from the teaching, the arts, because my mom was a teacher, my grandmother was uh, writing and teaching. And I saw how hard it was. And then, you know, I think, you know, us millennials, I'm a I'm a uh, vintage millennial. Okay. Vintage okay. millennial. Yeah. I'm a little <laughs> on the late end, but you know, we, we millennials, we wanted to think we were going to do something like even more. And I think my dad had a poor taste in his mouth about teaching because what it done to my mom. And he said to me, you're way too smart to be a teacher. And I think that kind of sat with me and it's a backhanded compliment, but I, I understand what he was saying. He wasn't trying to denigrate the profession, but I think, I think it kind of let him down that I did that. So I fought it for a little while and I wanted to go be a lawyer and do all these other things. So I got into USF. I actually toured the business college at the University of South Florida and I went because of that. And then within the first semester, I was going to the College of Ed. You know, like I was figuring that out, that it was tugging at me. And one of the big things, my grandmother, okay, so this is my dad's mom. Her best friend's name was Pinky. 
And she was this little elderly old lady that would come over on Sundays with my grandmother, you know, these old Irish Catholic ladies, right? And she's like, what are you going to do? Like, why are you going to be a lawyer? You know, you, you need to do something to like the fights in the classroom, you know, and she's, she's telling me, don't go do that. If you want to change the world, go, cause she was an old school teacher. She's like, you got to go to the classroom. So there were these little moments that, that, uh, I started to realize, uh, oh, this is what, this is what I was made to do. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then, and then, um, I don't know if I'm going on too long, but then the last big piece is that when I did get to USF, and this is the story I always have to tell as hard of as hard as it is, is that my headmaster in the leadership program I was in enjoyed my presence and thought I was apparently responsible. And she asked me to start taking care of her nephew who happened to have special needs. And she said, we need someone who's a nanny and a tutor. And I know you're thinking about education. You're not sure, but we would love for you to take care of David and pick him up after school, take him to the local library, read to him, teach him with reading and writing. Um, and we'll pay you this much. And I said, wow, sign me up. I would love to have that experience and to have such a great job like that. And so I took care of David for two years. And as he got older, his illness actually, and some of the things that he had wrong with him started to get worse. And one of the things is he was having seizures and they were increasing because of his body changes. Cause at this point he's like 12, 13. And um, I said goodbye to him over spring break. And I said, I'll see you later, David. I'll see you in a week. And um, came back from spring break and it was very strange because I didn't hear from them. And all of a sudden my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time called me. I now had a tutoring business that I had started that started with David. And I had some other children I was tutoring and taking care of. And he said, I, I need you to come over. And I said, Oh, and I said, what's going on? He's like, just, just come over. And I went over and he shared with me the news that David had a seizure in the hot tub at his apartment complex and he he passed away and it was extremely it was extremely devastating i mean even to this day i just i carry him with me and that was when it was really clear to me like god was making it extremely clear to me that i needed to teach to keep in the spirit of him you know because he was my first student and the love that i had for him and like what he taught me and what that meant to me, I just want to go and replicate it. I want to replicate it with all the other kids that I love on and everything that they have to share with me and teach me. I want to do that for them. And so to this day, you know, I carry him with me. So that kind of takes you from my childhood up until, you know, my undergrad. Yeah. Where sure. I knew where I was going to go. Yeah. So. That. What an incredible story. And just like to even just hear the story behind your passion for education and whatnot. I think that's so cool. And that leads perfectly into what I was going to ask kind of next, just more about like your um, going through like your history, like on LinkedIn and whatnot, seeing that you have um, a few degrees and one in progress, actually. I was mm-hmm. curious first why you, um, you talked about this a little bit, but decided to get a degree first in English and then moving on to get a master's in education. And then now I believe you are in the process of getting your doctorate. So why do you feel like those educational pieces, um, getting those different degrees have helped you in your career and in um, just be a better educator? Yeah. And so I, I love those questions and I'll try to do a good job to answer them. I, you know, I've been doing a lot of soul searching because I know we'll get to the point that I was critically ill and I actually almost died um, in 2021 and then learned to walk again in 2022. And now we're in 2023 and we're just starting to get some normalcy in our life as a family. But um, so I went to the University of South Florida and I got a secondary English education degree because I knew I wanted to teach and I wanted to write and and teach English. And, and I figured that out with the David story. So that's what was that, uh, you know, guidepost. It was like he was a guidepost and that was a God wink. And so I knew that was the degree I needed to get. And so at 22, I started teaching. Right. And then um, I worked in Hillsborough County schools. I taught English. I did the yearbook. I did yoga. I trained teachers. I led PLCs, which are like professional learning communities. I ran the ninth and 10th grade at a different time. And it was really, really good. But again, I was getting really burned out because it's a rough, you know, go. And I really felt like 
God was kind of calling me to something else. And in my personal life, I was struggling with infertility and issues with my with my health, which led into what happened to me later. And so my husband and I really were like talking and praying and discerning. And we decided that maybe it was time for me to do a change. So I ended up at a private Christian school where the workload and the student population, things were so much more manageable. And at that same time, because we couldn't, we couldn't get pregnant, couldn't get pregnant. And then we had infertility uh, with uh, miscarriages. We thought, well, you know, maybe you go do something else. So I started an MFA that actually took me to Vermont. So I was traveling up to Vermont, but that was not a good situation at all for me. And I really realized very quickly that that was not the exact direction I wanted to go in. So I got in for novel writing. I wrote the first like 50 or 100 pages of a novel and sat under a lot of novelists who are published and things like that. But it was just it was a great experience and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to take that away like from my life. But it was also really damaging to be with people who are so critical, like some people were kind of critical or maybe like mocking a little bit some of the ideas I had. And it just didn't feel nurturing to me. Yeah. And so I thought, you know what, forget it. I'm going to come back. I'm going to be a grad school dropout. And so that was my <laughs> joke. I said, let me get a t-shirt, you know? Yeah. And that's when I ended up landing with the MED. So my master's of ed in English. So because I wanted to be a university professor, right? And and so I'm playing with those ideas. And then I get critically ill. And coming out of that, I thought to myself, because I've had a love affair with mental health advocacy, because I've struggled with depression, anxiety myself clinically, um, not just, oh, I'm in a bad mood, but like clinical. So I understand that. Oh, I'm just sad a lot. It, it was it's much more than that. Yes, so different. Yeah. Yeah, it's very different. And then loving on students for years who were struggling. And I just thought, I just want to help them better. I want to help people better. And now that I've gone through my own trauma, I don't want to get a doctorate in like ed leadership anymore or curriculum and instruction. Like I feel like I've worked almost 20 years in education. I don't know if that's going to be a value added to my life. I'm not going to make a good administrator because I just like love people too much. I don't want to feel like I'm managing them or like always putting out fires and having to be a politician. That's not who I am. It's not how God made me. So that's when I was looking into different ed doctorates and I came across community care and counseling. And I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do because I feel like I've kind of been saying I'm a professional helper and artist. Like I want to create a platform or a space where I can just like love on people and support them and use the arts and use, you know, clinical understandings and research and therapies and prayer and whatever it is that those people need who would trust me through the arts, through writing poetry. I want to do that. I just want to make people's lives better. Yeah. That's awesome. And so that's what is leading to the way back to ourselves. Is that correct? Awesome. That's so cool. Um, And I'm excited to hear more about that. But I was like, if that's okay, I'm going to go back in time a little bit and then come back to the way back to ourselves. That sounds great. Um, so I wanted, because I was going through like your history and I know that you have such a cool, unique story and, you know, different highs and lows. But one thing that I really loved seeing, um, is like your love for writing and education and creativity into a few small businesses that you had kind of yourself. So can you tell us a little bit, um, just a little, a little bit about, you actually mentioned it before your tutoring services and then your photography, um, and then, small business. I also want to hear about the way back to ourselves, but again, we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Of course. And what's interesting is that's the story that, you know, God's kind of telling, right? Because all of these pieces are not wasted. All of these left turns, all these pauses that go on in our life, or where we feel like something's a dead end or we're confused. I really feel like if you wait long enough, you start to see all of those things start to make sense. So if I take you, so I started with David, that was not expected. That was not the plan, but that intersection changed my whole life and made it like you are going to be a teacher. 
And from David, I started this tutoring business. And because it was effective and the parents felt heard and loved and the kids felt loved and comfortable, which, you know, I, I feel so humbled by that. It, I got more work than I, I could uh, even keep. And I ended up having to hire some tutors under me and training them. And then we would do, you know, shares. So if I, whatever I charged, they kept 80% and I just took commission. And so people liked to work for me because I wasn't trying to like, be in it for the money i they were getting like a pretty fair wage and then we would keep the kind of like the brand understood so we at least would know that parents were getting people with the same philosophies and and um perspectives as myself and i ended up naming that cornerstone uh like tutoring services and educational services and it was amazing because i did it for a long time and it spanned from working with kids with special needs to i ended up helping adults with the esl and helping them pass tests so they could become citizens of the united states which then they That's tell someone so and they cool. tell someone and yeah then here i am with my broken spanish trying to help people but our hearts were in it you know so we got it figured out and um and then you know then you're working in the high school setting and a really good friend of mine in at Wharton High School where I worked, he did the math and science tutoring. And he was great fun and the kids loved to go to him. And we had this thing because the kids enjoyed me and I did the arts and English. And so he's like, listen, Finney, I'll get the math and science kids. I'll send them to you and you get the English kids and you send them to me. And before, because they need the tutoring for SATs. And so it just, it kept evolving. And then in 2015, I actually put that aside because, you know, my doctor was like, listen, you are burning the uh, the candle at both ends. You're losing weight. You're not sleeping. You're working too much because I was also the yearbook advisor. Total left turn. Didn't plan yeah. to do that with my life. Ended up doing it for eight years. Made the closest friends with my students of which some of them are still in my life. I learned how to write copy. We went to states. We won state awards. We learned photography. And that's where my photography business came from. Oh, my God. Because from I the year taught book. it every Yes. And it was, that's again, amazing. nothing I planned. Yeah. I learned graphic design. I taught myself mm -hmm. how to build websites, SEO, yep. taught the kids that, taught copy, AP style. Mm -hmm. And then when you get so proficient in it, InDesign, I mean, you name it, Photoshop. I did all of those things with these kids. And they just believe in you and you believe in them. And they're the ones who told me, you, Miss Finney, your photography is good enough that you should just go like, go make some money. And I said, no, no, no. Like, you know, the imposter syndrome. No, I've got enough. You know, I'm teaching. I've got your book. I do my tutoring. They're like, no, you're going to do my senior photos. You have to, you're going to do it. We're not going to pay you. You have to do it. Or we're going to pay you. And I said, no, you're not. That's what it was. And so a few of my girls were like emphatic. And so I said, fine, whatever. I'll take your pictures, but if you hate them, don't get mad at me. <laughs> well, it ended up being that they turned out and one kid told another, told another. And because I learned all these skills in yearbook, I ended up making a little blog spot that blew up. I ended up making graphics and, and, you know, I had a Facebook that blew up. And then I was going to even at a point leave teaching because I was making so much more money in photography and I was getting so much more work that I actually had to hire people for photography. So it's just, you know, those skills that you pick up and then learning how to use them to make a vision come true and to work really hard. So, and then I had my daughter and that's when you, you can't, I literally, she's the miracle baby for us. So I, I put my photography on the back burner. I still have my website. You can still contact me. It's finnyphotography.com. But um, since I've been critically ill, I'm just not well enough to do it. So every now and again, like close friends or family will come to our house and I'll take their pictures. You know what I mean? Just to keep yeah. my love alive. I'll sit in a chair, you know, do what I can. And uh, because I love it. It's it's the artistry. I love doing something yeah. beautiful for people. So, yeah, that is so cool. Is I love so that. Cool. I definitely can speak to that idea of like picking up skills along the way and like I see that you do that. that yeah I mean literally I think that that's um so important um so finally I can't wait to talk about um the way back to ourselves which I know um I just wanted to like learn about how it got started which I think goes a little bit along with the past couple years what has happened in your life um to the creation of this so I would just love to dive into that story 
Okay, so let's buckle up. <laughs> so Buckled. I feel like it's been something that has been building inside of me for a long time. Because, you know, I had a lot of, I had false starts, I had left turns, you know, we talked about yearbook that I learned how to make websites, do graphic design, photography, copy editing, all those things I've had experience with. And then I'm also a writer myself, and I yearn for those communities. And then as a teacher and a train and, you know, being trained to be a counselor, it's like I have this need to want to love on people, like I said, and serve them and and help them through hard times and use art and beauty and my education experience to help them. And I think I was trying to pinpoint it right before I got really sick, which I'll explain, is how do we as a culture, because we are talking a lot about all the brokenness that we're seeing in society, we know that and the big the big thing that's got me upset is young people like I, I care about all people, but because I'm with young people all day, you know, uh, people in their teens, and then a lot of relationships with people in their 20s. I'm so concerned about the rates of depression, suicide, anxiety, and what's going on with, um, you know, these digital natives, kids who have just grown up with a phone, you know, attached in their hand. And there are good things, you know, I we're, we're connected right now. We, you know, we're using Zoom, we used LinkedIn. We're gonna communicate these things. You can do beautiful things. But it's also there's a darker flip side to that. And I get worried because I've seen the teenager I teach over the past almost 20 years change. They were much more likely to be able to do hard things without having breakdowns. They were much more emotionally connected with each other. They were they were uh, kinder and they slowed down a little bit more. And it doesn't mean that this generation coming up doesn't have all those wonderful traits, but I feel like we've created a society where it's harder for them to have those traits and to be well. It's what they've inherited. And so right before I got sick, I started working on a nonfiction uh, book that I want to eventually publish. And it'll be part of my dissertation. And it's I called it The Way Back to Ourselves and how parents, teachers, leaders, you know, pastors, whoever is in that position to care for a younger person can make themselves better because that's what the solution is, right? It's not kids these days. So they're they're this, they're that. Why don't we look in the mirror though and think adults these days? What can we do, right, to help the younger people? Like how do we make ourselves better and more equipped to lead better, love better, teach better, parent better, and allow those kids a chance, right? And so I was doing a ton of research, but then there's also that artist side of me. And so I'm like, okay, how do you bring the artistic beauty, the reverence for beauty, the writing, and and then also the academic counselor aspect? How do you bring them together? Because I just, I feel like if I only do one, I feel kind of torn apart. Like I, I want to find a way to make them come together. And so I wrote this stuff and, and you know, I did some stuff through my school on it. And then right before I had sepsis, I started to really put it down. And I, so my health journey is that I have several autoimmune issues. And the most serious one is stage four aggressive uh, endometriosis. And mine though was so bad, it was behaving like a cancer and it attached many of my internal organs together among other things to the point that I couldn't walk or function and if I did not have surgery, I would have not survived. Um, and we actually, so I ended up going through three surgeries, three radical surgeries in the course of 12 months. The second one gave me sepsis. And so I was hospitalized twice for sepsis. And one in three people with sepsis die. And then half of sepsis survivors get something called post-sepsis syndrome. And it's where it destroys your nervous system, your muscle system, uh, your heart gets taxed and it can take, you know, six months to a decade to recover. It's, it's really intense. And so I'm living with that and some spinal cord issues and all kinds of stuff. So when you face that as a family, it makes you have to check yourself. What are my priorities? What really matters? What kind of mother do I want to be? What kind of parent, you know, not just to my child, but like to other people's children, like as a village, you know, my spouse, how do I want to treat my spouse? What do I stand for? What's my faith? 
And that's when the way back to ourselves, I was like delirious. And it was just something that, gosh, God, if he would let me survive this, like I have to put some kind of like little footprint out there. Not because I think I know anything. It's not about that. It's to be a servant, to put beautiful things out there, to be honest and real that I am broken. I don't have answers, but God does. You know, life is brutal, but it's beautiful. And I can't take credit for this because it's another writer that I read, but it's brutal, right? It's brutal and it's beautiful. And so the way back to ourselves and it's in its infancy, but it's blown up. And that's when you're like, no, this is beyond me. You know, that I'm doing this, you know, on the side because I'm teaching. I'm a mom. We have our health going on. Yep. <laughs> my husband. Is yeah. And, and then doing my doctorate. And it's just been very fruitful. We had our first literary journal come out in November, beautiful pieces. And I've gotten so many pieces in for the one that's going to come out in April. And then I've got the blog going. And then the the hope is here soon is to get a podcast going. Because I would love to talk to people like you, people who are putting goodness out into the world. And the whole point of it would be, how do we get back to ourselves? Like the idea is the way back to ourselves and I mentioned, you know, going up to North Carolina earlier when we jumped the fence and stood on the waterfall. That's such an eye-opening moment, right? But I love the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I feel like that's where my soul is. Like I see God and the Blue Ridge Mountains. And that was kind of the image for me when I was really ill. And even I know it sounds morbid, but it's like if something happens, then I want my ashes to be spread across the Blue Ridge Mountains, you know? And so that has really become like that uh, path, like a rugged path back to the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so that's why the imagery you get on the website and the um, logo that I created and the hand-drawn one that I did it when I was envisioning it uh, that you can see on the website is that idea of finding that way back to ourselves, the way we were meant to be, the best version of ourselves, what God uh, wants to do with us. So yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah. That is such a cool story. And just, I feel like I see God's hand in like every single part of your story, which is just so awesome. So I love to hear it. So it's been really cool to hear um, just like that beginning story of the way back to ourselves. Um, you kind of mentioned a little bit about what um, the way back to ourselves has, you know, with the blogs and hopefully with a podcast in the future. Um, one of my favorite things I think about your brand is your Instagram, which is very aesthetic, but also just really amazing filled with these motivational quotes and, um, different samples of your writing. So I'm curious to know what your relationship with social media is like and what your motivation behind putting a lot of effort into an online presence, um, what you kind of hope the fruit is for that so that is a really good question and I'm gonna sound like a big fat hypocrite because I was telling you earlier like I want to get my students off screens and I've gone times without tv I actually quit all social media when um right before I had my daughter and I went almost six years without it nothing so I only just got back on six months ago and so, and the reason why I quit is I was like, I felt like that discernment. Like, I, I don't have business being on here. I'm just going to live a small, quiet life. I'm not judging other people. Like we talked about, there are lots of good things that we can get from technology and social media. And obviously I'm back on social media. So, you know, there's that, but I got to thinking, you know, again, having this major health crisis and everything that my family and I have been through is where are all my students, all my babies that have graduated? Where are they? They're on Instagram. And where are some connections of people I love very much that I've fallen out of contact with? And, you know, I had this crazy thing happen to me. I would love to connect with them again. I would love to see how they're doing and to kind of share my story for the sake of God, because that was my, my thing. I told him in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. over and over again when I couldn't walk and you know, so much pain. I didn't want to keep going. I just said, like, if you, if you take this cup from me, you know, 
And if you let me keep going, I need to do something and I will. And so at first I went on and I was very timid. It had changed radically in the six years. Instagram is completely different than when I last left it. Oh, it for sure is. Social media and culturally we are. And so I just started putting a little something here and I put a little something there in the back of my head, the way back to ourselves is percolating because I've already, and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. You know how you're grasping and you're like, I feel like I'm like, what, what, what is this? Like, I've been asking God, what will you have me do? Like, what is next? What do you want me to do with this? With, with my health, with the direction of things. And, and then the, the Instagram kind of just got going and you can kind of just see in that very short period of, I went on, I had like 300 friends, or I guess we call them followers. Yeah. (laughs) And it's kind of upticked. I think, I don't know, maybe 1500 now. And I know that's a tiny share, but it's been a very sweet community that is kind of in part people I know throughout my life, many students I used to have, and then a lot of people coming in through um, just me getting back on. I never had a LinkedIn, you know, all these years, I just made one four months ago and just sharing the story. But I think it speaks to not me. I'm a conduit. I am just something that God is using. And I think it's the time and place that I think a lot of us are wanting that. Like, I feel like, especially young people, um, teens, 20 somethings, and even 30 somethings and, and beyond. We just want authenticity. I think a lot of people suffer in silence. And yeah. if some of us are bold enough and we don't care what others say, uh, drowning out the noise and, and to say, you know what, I'm going to stand up for my faith. I'm going to stand up for my story. I'm going to try to do big things and share a message, not because of me. And I, and if you spend any time on it, I constantly tell people, I don't have answers. I don't want you to say I'm an inspiration. It's not me. I am here with you trying to figure this thing out. And I wonder if that's why it's hitting a nerve with, with people. So. No, that's so true. I, I mean, I feel, I totally feel that like just going on and seeing all of that stuff. It's like, there's something so much bigger at work here than just a person posting on Instagram. Like it's so much bigger than that. So I can totally see that. Um, so one of the things I really do love about the way back to ourselves is your writing and your, um, different pieces. So whether that's, you know, your poetry or your journals, your blog and whatnot, I feel like you really have a way of like captivating the reader. So I just would love to hear from you. How would you describe your writing style? And then where would you say your ultimate inspiration comes from? I could talk about that all day as an English nerd. (laughs) Yeah. So I will... I will give the Cliff Notes version. Um, huge influences for me are the expatriates of the 1920s. And the two American fathers of that would be, and everybody knows these names. It's F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway. And their writing styles couldn't be more different. And I adore both of them. You know, they were disastrous, but they are so interesting. In fact, we named our daughter after Ernest Hemingway's first wife, Hadley. And he wrote about her in his memoir, A Movable Feast. And he said how she was everything that was wonderful and good in the world. And I said, yep, that's going to be my daughter's name. And I had to convince my husband. He's traditional. I'm the hippie artist where I was like, she could be Dylan, like after Bob Dylan, or she could be Hadley after, you know, and he's like, all right, pop the brakes because I want a Hannah or an Abigail, you know? And then, and then I was able to talk them into it, but, um, I, I love Fitzgerald and my students know I'm such a Gatsby geek. I just obsess. He can write the most beautiful sentences, but I also know that he can kind of sound out of reach to today's people and Ernest Hemingway. And I have two quotes I want to share because you ask where my writing inspiration comes from. He's got good quotes on writing. And here are two that I love. One, he says, all you have to do is write one true sentence, write the truest sentence that you know. And I think that that's important for writing and life. And if I'm doing something and it's not true, or if I'm writing something, it's actually not true. I will delete it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm writing this because I think that's what people want to hear. Oh, this sounds pretty. I will delete 
and be like, do that gut check. Like, okay, is this making me nervous to share this? Yes. But that's probably because it's true. Like I remember I did a post about my daughter being here because I said no to a very dark time in my life where I didn't want to live anymore. That is very heavy. Right. And I had a picture of her up. It was during September suicide awareness month. And I remember going, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to post this? This is really like, it was bothering. Yeah. It was heavy to me, but I said, you know what? The very reason that I feel that way, I need to post it because if one person can read this one true sentence and see my daughter's face and to know like this human is here because I said yes to life, even when I didn't want to. I mean, if that like just makes one person and I'll never know who that person is, right? That that's enough. Like that's enough for me. And then the other one I love that he writes about, and this has impacted me as a writer to be daring and write the things that need to be said is he says, writing is easy. Just put a sheet of paper in the typewriter and start bleeding. And it's just the idea of being willing to bear yourself, you know, and speak to the things that we all are feeling that we're just afraid to say it. You know, or we don't have the words and writers let us get the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Thank you for sharing those quotes that I I love both of those. Those are so great. Um, so I kind of have um, two more questions for you. So the second to last one is um, what does and I know you've kind of talked about this a little bit, but what does what does the future hold for you? I guess if you had to guess for yourself, obviously we don't know what God has in store for you, but if you had to guess, um, what does like the next couple of months or the next couple of years, what do you want to do, you know, with the way back to ourselves, with your teaching, with whatever you're willing to share? I'm just curious. I mean, those are the questions that my husband and I are praying about and asking right now. Um, I think that the three things is like taking care of our family, and my daughter, because of everything we've been through, it, it's ministry, right? I think is another one is how the choices that we make as a family and the choices that I make with my career, it's our family, it's my health, and then it's ministry. I think that those are the three things that we're trying to honor. That's good for all of us. And so I don't have exact answers, but I do know, like when I look into the future, I, I, told him at 18, my husband, I said, I'm going to be an English professor. I'm going to be Dr. Kimberly, you know, and then engaged soon after. So I'll be Dr. Kimberly Finney. And I just like knew that at 18, you know, I was battling it, you know, and then, and then, you know, David happened. And then I knew that's what I was supposed to do. So I see myself going in that path. Cause I just, I would love to be in that university setting. I love Heather Thompson day. I love uh, Karen Swallow prior there two women in the industry that are college professors, they're writers, they're speakers, and they're putting a lot of good into the world. Um, So I would love to kind of do something like that. And then the other thing, when we talked the way back to ourselves, and I was actually praying and driving home today, my daughter was snoozing in the back seat. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what are we going to do here? You know, what, what are you thinking about for me? And I was kind of thinking like opening, and I've been telling my husband, and he's he always tells me, pump the brakes. <laughs> I support you in everything you want to do, but you yep. can't do everything. At once. Everything. Yeah. Right. But having a um, like the way back counseling and educational services or something where I could open where I have the website and we continue that to reach people not local. But I would love to create a local place for the community for people who are suffering for people who need help with parenting, uh, children who have learning disabilities. Cause I like how basically open the doors and saying, how can we serve you? And because I have, um, you know, by the grace of God, I have the education, the art, and now the counseling background. I just feel like those are three beautiful avenues to help people have better lives. So, yeah, that sounds so great to have like an in-person place to just mm-hmm. like live out that mission. That sounds incredible. So I know they sound like hoop dreams, but I will tell you, no. if you have vision and you take baby steps, mm-hmm. you can make it come true. I feel like your story so far has been such a testament to that very fact. So for sure, for sure. Um, so Kimberly, there is so much more to your story that I'm sure we didn't even get to cover in this time, but, um, which is why after I asked this last question, I will encourage people to go check out your website and connect with you. But 
before that, I have to ask the same question that I ask almost all um, of my podcast guests at the end. And that is, what advice would you give for someone wanting to do what you've accomplished, which is a lot? Okay. Um, I tell my students this, and it makes a very complicated thing seem not as complicated. And I always tell them you have two purposes in life. One is figure out what God made you to do and then figure out how you're going to do it. And so I feel like learning to really listen to yourself and do those check-ins, you know, and I, I've been listening to yours too and how you're going on that journey, like, you know, and like how you've arrived at this podcast and your job and you're going on that journey. And I feel like, you know, that's a great thing. It's checking in with yourself. You know, if you're a spiritual person, praying and discerning and getting in touch with that. Um, if you're not, then I would probably say, please be a spiritual person and, and to explore that because I think there's richness there, but, you know, reading the books, getting curious, you know, tapping into yourself, what brings you joy and then figure out how can I use this beautiful talent and skill and get so good at it that I can like go and do this to, to provide for my family, to make the world a better place, to be a good role model for my child like whatever it is that gets you up in the morning. So that sounds kind of visionary, but I think it starts there is having that grand vision, but then it's being willing to uh, to have that drive and get in the grind and taking the baby steps. Um, lots of little baby steps. And I think if you're willing to just do a baby step and go, I have no idea what I'm doing, but my heart's in it. Um, I don't have to be perfect as we tell our daughter. I just have to try because we're a house of perfectionists. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to try. And I tell myself that like a lot of times I dive in and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing and where this is going, but my heart's in it. I'm a curious person. I'm willing to humble myself and learn. Like today I have to study for this crazy statistics thing. And doctor, I am not a math person. I went up to one of my students, Josh, who's a math genius. I'm like, can you please tutor me? And just being willing. I love that. You know, like, and he's like, of course, Miss Finney. And so he's going to like help me out because I'm will- like, I'm so willing to like, do what I got to do to get it done. Like who, who cares? Like just serve each other, figure it out. And hopefully I'm going to survive this course so I can do research to help people, <laughs> you know? And so I'm asking my student for help. And um, so I just feel like taking those baby steps because when you do that, eventually you get good at that thing. And then you get the confidence and the, and the uh, energy, you know, to go to the next thing and build on that one and get good at that piece. And if you do a little bit of that every single day, you'll look over your shoulder and realize, oh my goodness, like, look at everything that I accomplished. And I also, something my husband and I do is we're really, we're, you know, we're intellectual, like egghead types. We're very curious about what makes other people like excellent. You know, when you see, and I doesn't mean I have to agree with them, you know, and what they're doing, but wow, they're really good at creating businesses or, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. What is their mindset? Like, what's their habit? And not being intimidated by that or jealous or, or small-minded, but just admiring, wow, that person really knows how to accomplish X, Y, and Z. And just be curious. And like, for instance, Bill Gates and a lot of other like movers and shakers in the world, they read avidly. And so I was thinking to myself when I was a little younger, I'm like, that's what I, if I want to know things and see the world in a unique way and be able to do things in an excellent way, I need to self-educate, you know? So that was one thing that really turned me on. And then you just keep going. And then I've, I read that how movers and shakers don't really watch television. They use that time. And again, I, I do watch TV now sometimes, and I did when I was sick, but knowing that I can sacrifice something that's not as life-giving to me or that I could trim it out and then use that time to do something toward my yeah. goal. Yeah. So that, I mean, all of that is great advice. And I'm like, man, that's even great advice just for me. Cause I, I've been like thinking a lot about just how I want to continue to grow, like in this podcast realm or whatever. And I was like, you know what? I should watch less TV shows and instead spend that time, like, you know, doing different things that could be helpful for my podcast or, you know, just doing those like little tiny things like right. you're talking about those baby steps. I think that's so important. So yeah, that's great. 
Thank you. Even if you can only give, you know, 10 minutes to something a day. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the week, you've just put an hour into a dream, you know, and it can compound. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Kimberly, so much for sharing that and for sharing your story on my podcast. It has been so great having you. Um, For those listening, uh, Kimberly's LinkedIn is going to be um, linked below. So you should definitely check her out and connect with her if you want some great inspiration for your LinkedIn feed. Um, But also check out her Instagram and website at the way back to ourselves with the two is like the number two, but it will be linked in the show notes below. So you should definitely check that out and check out the website has some great um, blogs and all kinds of really awesome stuff. But um, yeah, Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This was so great. And it's really awesome to hear you doing all the stuff that you're doing. I, I've loved your show. So wow, keep at it. Thank you. Yeah. That's so kind. And for those of you listening, if you want to check out more of my show, you can at maddiemiller.co or check out my Instagram at the Maddie Miller Show. But thanks for listening. Thank you. And if you're listening to this, it means you probably just finished an entire episode of my podcast. And for that, I wanted to just say thank you so, so much. It really means a lot to me. Um, If you wanted to learn more about my podcast, you can check out my website, maddiemiller.co, where I post extra information about each of my episodes. Um, Or you can follow me on Instagram at The Maddie Miller Show. You taking time out of your day to listen to my small podcast inspires me to keep pursuing this passion that currently provides me with no financial gain, but instead it provides me with growth in the entertainment industry, unique communication skills, and hopefully someday a story I can tell someone else that inspires them to also pursue their dreams. I know you probably weren't expecting to feel so hyped up, you know, after just listening to a podcast episode, but just know that you choosing one of my episodes to listen to is like supporting a small business for free so again thank you so so much and happy